Welcome, everybody. This is Natalie. This is Sam. This is Elizabeth. And we're your hosts of Wisterhood, a podcast by Women in Science Portland. Wisterhood is our community of support for women in science and their allies, and today we're here to talk about women's representation in science. Yes, today we will be talking about representation of women, especially women of color in the sciences, which still remains lacking. At the bottom, at the bottom end of the spectrum are computer science, mathematics, physics, and some branches of engineering. On the other hand, women now earn the majority of doctorates in marine and environmental sciences and account for about half of incoming medical students. And across nearly all fields, the proportion of women declines the further up one goes in the academic or corporate ranks. As we talked about in our earlier science communication episode, while women may have gained visibility as science spokespeople or communicators, that's not necessarily the case on the technical side of any science teams. There have been a few causes identified for this problem. The term leaky pipeline refers to how over the course of their careers, women may end up leaving the sciences, whether it be in undergrad, grad school, or afterward. Things like lack of paid family leave and academic gatekeeping can both contribute to this issue. And so today we just wanted to address maybe what might be the elephant in the room is what representation of women in sciences looks like and even what might might it look like to someone who's not in science, um, particularly in things like popular media. Um, But then also like what can we do to actually improve like the actual numbers of women in science. And so so I guess like, you know, to open things up, like, you know, Elizabeth, you just talked about how there's some fields where like women are like achieving gender parity with men, whereas other fields, like particularly the math physics side of things, um, is still trailing behind. And so like, why do we think that is? And like, what can we do to fix it? I noticed it in college too. Me having a bachelor's degree in bioengineering, my engineering is a science-based engineering, whereas the more like mathematic-based or I guess, traditionally engineering majors. They were much more men, like mechanical engineering, which not too, too bad, but like uh, computer science, electrical engineering, things like that. They were very heavily men, but the more science based engineering actually had fairly decent numbers of women in it as well. And so I think it's kind of interesting how like in almost the more... I a bad way to say it but the sciency based areas and industries and fields like women are becoming um or coming out in larger numbers but in the more traditional um yeah math physics computer science it's still less and i i just think that's seen as like you know mathematics is the base of most stem things and physics is like out of this world complicated you know and so i think it's maybe that like they just like it's a deterrent to women because it's like a boys club because it or men's club based on its really concrete core skill base skill sets I don't know if that makes any sense at all (laughs) yeah that does make sense I think it's also a disparity of how they're being taught in school so if you have a female physics teacher you're more likely if you're a female to be engaged Versus if there's a man teaching you and he's catering to the other males in the classroom. And this happens a lot. 
uh, with the schools that I work with. I'm very lucky that the few teachers that I do work with, I have an even number of males and females. Um, but I still don't have enough young ladies or females in my clubs. Um, I have more males in all of my clubs. And I think that's because they're taught that these are their skills. Like mm. they're good at this versus girls go to like the artsy stuff or something that's like, I mean, I know we don't do this anymore, but like home ecky. Those numbers drop off so soon. It's not even like college level. It's like way before that. Yeah, for sure. Like in, in high school, um, at the time I was a senior out of like 14 people. Like, and yes, I was lucky to be in a class that was that small. Like it, that's almost unheard of in Portland public schools. But like in my class of like 14 people, there were maybe three or four girls. Um, in, yeah, and like, you know, fewer, obviously, women of color. So I, I definitely like... Um, like resounded that like science education part and I also think the other bit is like very early on in school like it's okay for boys to like be obnoxiously smart but like that is not okay for girls and I think like you know like there's always that like that that guy who's like oh like I got the first the the right answer first and like you know but that's not um, socially acceptable for girls and girls are taught to cater towards other people's feelings more mm-hmm. and to be more like socially aware and acceptable. Whereas like you can be like the like the boy genius that is like somewhat like socially awkward. Everyone in middle school and high school is just trying to fit in. And then like you add on gender to that. And it's just like, like, of course, that we have no shot, <laughs> you know, like it's um, it becomes the it comes stacked against against women really fast oh yeah i I mean there's the whole show jimmy neutron boy genius there's no Mm -hmm. you know jenny jenny neutron girl genius i don't know yeah crazy and like phineas and ferb like their sister is always is like supposed to be practical yeah or dexter's (laughs) laboratory any any fans of that growing up poor Didi. natalie are you too young for dexter's laboratory (laughs) quite possibly (gasps) oh no I think we just proved our age. At least me and Elizabeth have each other. I'm like, I swear we're not that old, but apparently there's a gap. So what's the premise? Uh, It's basically a kid who has a lab in his basement, and he makes really weird experiments. And his sister Mm. is named Dee Dee, and she's like the ballerina, kind of ditzy. Yeah. Mm. Right. And so it's like, you know, even in like cartoons that like children watch, it's like the smart kid is like the guy and like the like responsible, like you shouldn't, you know, like plays within the the rules. One is the girl because like for girls, breaking the rules means something different than for guys. And like breaking the rules for a guy is like, oh, like fun and like, you know, edgy. But like you know that's that's not necessarily the case when it comes to girls yeah it's Um, crazy and like talking about that like even just in middle school and high school like one thing I think is super cool and I'm very proud of is my graduating class in high school actually they do like the top five you know academic like best GPAs in the class and you get like cores for graduation and usually it's mostly boys or it's like Oh, mostly boys and a couple girls, but my class, it was top five, all girls. I'm like, we are kick ass. (laughs) I don't know. Even like as a high school, it just, you notice that difference. Even my mom was like, wow, like 
all the top five students are like girls like that's amazing it's kind of weird how it's like that's amazing I don't know like it shouldn't be it should just be like we're awesome we're smart no big deal but being smart is almost harder because you get attacked for it almost sometimes depending on the thing and I grew up and honestly I got I got bullied and I mean lots of everybody gets bullied but I there were things where it's like oh I know the answer in class and then there's that person behind me like she just thinks she's smarter than everybody else you know or like like teacher brown knows or whatever and it's like I'm literally just trying to participate in class and learn but I like it it doesn't matter and I feel like there's lots of pressure on girls and women growing up and going to school that it's like you just get those backhanded comments where it's where like you were talking about Natalie where the boys it's just like oh yeah he's just a smart a smart guy you know it's not as big of a deal so yeah like off of that I I'm like especially when you were talking about like ranked GPAs and stuff like that like I don't know maybe the answer to this question and maybe there isn't one but like do you think that competitiveness is a deterring factor for girls in STEM like for example like are is the existence of grades a deterrent to students who might not traditionally do well in like you know in science and I think like you know there's there's such a you know two-sided like there's lots of you know caveats here but like I've always wondered like some people might make arguments about how like you know we should have classrooms should feel less competitive and maybe I agree with that but at the same time like does that rely on the assumption that girls aren't competitive kind of like a double-edged sword almost um what's funny is I actually was talking with um an undergrad student today they were just asking about you know the medical device industry and things like that and like they asked me a question of like what's something that you would have wished you'd known an undergrad that you know now like some sort of perspective and that was actually something I brought up was that I wish in I don't know if it's just engineering STEM majors in general or all college majors but I just feel like they pit us all against each other as competition for a grade for a test for a research position for whatever but it's like in reality it's like these are the people who you're going to be working with, collaborating with. Like it should be a collaborative environment so everyone can be the best engineer, the best doctor, the best scientist that they can be. Because who knows this person might be putting making a pacemaker for your grandma one day. You don't want to be <laughs> like, "No, I want to smash him down and I have to be the best," you know? But that's like what's what's cultivated and it's honestly kind of nasty. Like there's a there needs to be competition in my opinion because I feel like it gives you a drive to try harder than you would without it but at the same time it shouldn't get to the point of where you're just trying to tear each other down you know and I feel like that could be a deterrent for lots of people I want to ask you a kind of controversial question um spicy okay so when teaching stem any stem any of those letters do you think it's appropriate to separate the boys and girls Sorry, my entire dro- jaw just dropped to the floor that this that is, like, is that this is something that people are considering of a spicy question. <laughs> yeah. For me, I've seen great things where it's like um not necessarily in classes, but schools like have after school clubs that are for STEM and they're for girls only or for women only. And I think those sorts of things are great because it gives you 
people who look like you, who have the same interests as you, and you can confide in. Like, I think those sorts of things are, uh, personally, I think they're great. And I think that's a good way, a good instance of separating boys, girls, men, women when it comes to STEM. Um, and okay, actual, I like, should add, yeah, I'm going to add a caveat. So you okay. separate the boys and girls. And the boys get one curriculum of STEM and the girls get another curriculum. The girls are going to get a curriculum that involves like baking, but you do math and you do science. Then how do you feel about it? No. Wait, do you say <laughs> baking? Yeah, because it's a science. I mean, that's how you teach little kids like how to do math and fractions and things is with baking. But Well, so my question is like, why can't no. boys be taught baking? <laughs> like, why I don't, like, like sir. <laughs> no, I agree. I think deducing girls and women down to you the best way to teach them about stem is through girly tasks well stereotypically (laughs) girly tasks like baking or sewing or stupid stuff like that i'm sorry some people like some i think it should be an individual level that person is really interested in that that's a great conduit for them to learn that but to just deduce girls and women to those tasks to be like this is the best way to teach them stem it's like i'm sorry i'm so like on fire right now (laughs) i'm just like no because for me i wasn't like that as a kid like i wanted to do the actual nitty-gritty stem things it's like real life stem I just, oh, I don't know. I need to, I'm, I'm going to take a pause. Someone else say things. <laughs> okay, so my take is, like, I would be happy about that. What that, who that is ultimately bad for is boys, because then they don't learn how to be a person. It benefits girls because girls will be able to be in a safe space for themselves. But ultimately, right. the people who it harms is boys who don't learn about like how masculinity or like at least their like expectations of how they perform their gender is like bad and can be harmful and they it just it only enables them to be bad people (laughs) um and to be rude people because like the thing about like power is that you can do whatever the hell you want with it and that's why like people in power are rude is because there's no one there to stop them um and like i mean (laughs) men in stem can be (laughs) maybe some of the rudest people I know like so so I think that like you know I I disagree with the baking thing obviously because like like again it goes back to the whole like like in order for us to achieve gender parity it's not just that like women need to become more like men it needs to be like we need to rethink the way that we like establish like construct gender and like assign roles to those genders as a whole and not like let's teach girls baking because they like that and maybe then they'll go into stem because i mean best case scenario like these girls are like yeah like i like baking and stem and then they like you know get into high school or undergrad or whatever and like these obnoxious like boys are in their class and it's like this is not what this, the type of science that I learned. And if anything, it could be even more disheartening. So I don't know. That is like absolutely nuts. Can you like shed <laughs> light on like if this is discussed? Like what? Yes. Uh, so this is something that happened um, in a previous job. Uh, and I was very angry because I didn't see the point. Um, but the, the point that you brought up, Natalie, it's about giving them a safe mm-hmm. space was explained to me. The disparity that happened was 
K through third grade were allowed to be uh, boys and girls intermixed. But anything above fifth grade, they had to be separate because boys were becoming more bullies as in like, I'm so smart. Um, so that's when they were given the safe space. But if they were, let's say they were in the program their entire school career, right? Uh, they started in second grade, second through fourth, fifth, whatever, they were intermixed. Then all of a sudden sixth grade comes and it's like, okay, what happened? We were working just fine and now we're separated. I personally thought that they should have gone the whole way learning to work with each other because you're not going to work in a firm that's all women. Yeah. I mean, that'd be might, magical. But it's, it's rare. <laughs> yeah. and, and like, I understand the bullying, that's not right. But I think it also prepares you for what's out there. And I don't want to say this because it sounds mean, but it gives you a, what is it? A tougher skin. I don't know English sayings, but, but basically that. Women and people who are, are not represented in STEM, like they need those safe spaces to be able to talk and learn in a healthy environment. And that's why I think clubs are a great way to do that. Um, like, I think those things are totally necessary. But yeah, like you were saying, once you get down to the curriculum and actually classes, it's kind of more difficult because it's like, yeah, it's not replicating the real world and it's not teaching them or encouraging them to work together in a healthy way. There's just the balance. And I mean, there's not ever a right answer, right? <laughs> trying to do yeah. the best you can. I think, it's, I think it's also because in that context, um, we had a partner. Mm -hmm. So this, this partner was a girls group. They wear sashes. I'm not going to say the name. <laughs> and they built the curriculum. And so you understand that their curriculum is very specific to those kind of things. I know because I was in one of them. Um, and then the boys curriculum is written by a boy or a man who likes to explode things. <laughs> or was written because I was there. But yeah. So I think that's also the disparity because when you partner with someone, you don't get to say no this, no that. You have to make a mm -hmm. compromise. I mean, I'm baffled by how, like, when approached by the problem of, like, basically boys bullying girls out of STEM, the answer is, like, let's separate them instead of, like, let's teach boys how to maybe not be bad people. I mean, isn't that, like, that like is just everything? Like... <laughs> it's like, oh, you got raped. You should have been more careful. I'm like, no, right. maybe we should yeah. teach people, you know, raping's bad. Don't do that. I don't I mean, that's a severe example, but unfortunately there's a parallel. No, exactly. Like, it's just like this, like, over, like, this wholesale, like, neglect of responsibility for men, which is just like, whoa. <laughs> like, I should not be surprised then that, like, <laughs> like, the quality of boys coming out of K-12 is so low if these like, kinds of excuses are made for them. You know, when we talk about, like, science and, like, teaching science and the whole idea of, like, splitting, you know, boys and girls classes, like, that, again, reinforces the gender binary, which is, like, not real. Um, it's, like, sociologically, like, not real and also, like, scientifically, biologically not real. Um and so, like, that in itself is, like, upholding some structures that are bad and also, like, some just, like, misinformation. <laughs> so just kind of to bring it back to representation, do you think that hurts 
or helps representation if you see all girls in your classroom? Probably helps. I'm not going to lie. Like, if I had all girl math classes, I might be a math major right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely, <laughs> at least if you're all like, I don't know. Yeah, I guess seeing more people like yourself doing activities together that you all like. And I just, I think it's like an environment that makes you feel more comfortable, which I think then allows you to try things maybe you wouldn't try if you were in an uncomfortable environment. So yeah, I would have to lean towards it probably what does help with the representation, especially if you have like a teacher or you have a professor or someone from industry coming in that's also um, a woman or from some other minority group to just show you like the breadth of individuals that are out there. I definitely think that that's conducive to better representation or at least feeling like you can do it too, you know? The thing is like I've had female teachers that have been less cognizant of like gender politics in a classroom than male teachers. Um, Like instead of creating safe spaces where like it's like only women, we're like honestly like one how unrealistic and two that like might not even achieve like the initial goal in the first place which is to create a safe space like there maybe needs to be more overall education across gender on like how does one be a respectful person to other people in a classroom which turns out is very hard (laughs) like people in power regardless of their gender can uphold like patriarchal white structures and that's bad now that we've kind of belabored this like whole like you know how do we make safe spaces and like stem education like what what so what then if if we're not gonna divide classrooms by gender what then like are like actually helpful steps um to to be done and also like you know to shifting from education to like retention in the sciences like how do we do that i would say divide by skill level Mm. I know that sounds weird, but, like, not every fifth grader is on the same level as his or her counterpart, right? When I was a fifth grader, I was at a ninth grade level, which, you know, I'm not (laughs) proud He's a genius. Listeners. I'm just kidding. Write that down. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, But if you have a fifth grader that can code, and you have an eighth grader that can code, one is a male, one is a female, doesn't matter which... And they can help each other and bounce ideas off each other. Why not put them together because they have those skills? But I don't want that to discourage other people. So I feel like no matter what I say, I'm, yeah, I'm in the There's always <laughs> pros and cons to it. Because then in that scenario too, it's like some, I, I was that kid where I absolutely hated it. It's like you're one of the quote unquote smart, productive kids in the class and they sit you next to the kid that's unproductive because you're supposed to like magically rub off on them or something or help them be a better student. And it's like, I am nine, first of all. I don't know why this is my responsibility. <laughs> and second of all, but it's like at the same time, it's like it is nice to have your peers there to help you out and help pull you up. But at the same time, it shouldn't be their responsibility at the same time because they're trying to also, you know, grow into a person and learn. <laughs> And so it's, yeah, like you were saying, though, it's, there's pros and cons to it all. My, my mom, we always used to be so mad at the, like, common core, like, everyone learns the exact same thing. Because she was like, you know, then you drag everybody down to the lowest Mm -hmm. level. And, like, that is okay. Like, you know, basics are good. And, like, having a solid, like, fundamental understanding is good. But, like, 
in reality what that pushes people to do is like to start seeking extracurricular stuff within the educational industrial complex which requires things like money and so like it stratifies like classrooms even more because eventually then you end up with these like you know <laughs> learning like how to multiply numbers in a classroom where some kids have doing have been doing robotics outside of school and some kids are like still learning how to like mm-hmm. you know multiply two digits by two digits um and so it's just like you know then it's like you know like that we need better solutions than that um because like while it might be an unintended consequence that's the way that things are yeah i'm not a fan of common core or standardized tape oh yeah oh, i'm a we should rip those tests and burn yeah, them. Yeah, okay. How I Have feel. you heard of that thing where, like, standardized <laughs> tests apparently favor boys because, like, second-guessing second yourself will harm you. And apparently, like, statistically, girls are more likely to second-guess their own answers. I mean, I, I like, I couldn't cite the study. <laughs> um, I believe but, that, though. Like, so, yeah, I mean, one out of many problems with standardized tests. Oh, yeah. Definitely. It doesn't prove anything. It proves you can regurgitate yeah, that information. Is a, a problem mm. too is people are so focused on getting the right answer, getting the best grade, and it's like, yeah, you regurgitate all that information, but then you like data dump the night the next night, and then it's like, what really did you learn? Like, did you retain anything? Do you actually know how to do that, or are you just really good at memorizing things and you can't actually apply what you've learned? And that's uh, another huge problem. I mean, we're, we're kind of trailing off of the representation topic, <laughs> but it's all interconnected, really. Um, yeah. I think another interesting thing when we're talking about, like, representation is, and I know it's this Friday, so tomorrow. So when this podcast comes out, though, it's going to be past it. Uh, Astrid and Wiz, she's doing... Um, that talk about representation um, as well. And I think that that's a good thing to point out in some of the topics I think she's going to discuss just from what I've read over it is kind of like how in clinical studies and things like that, like representation is extremely lacking. I mean, when you learn about how the seatbelt and like airbag was made for a car, it was all based off on a man, a man, men, whatever you had <laughs> And it was injuring lots of women because it wasn't built for our body types. And it's like, it's really hard. It's like, it's a motivator to get into those areas because you want to be heard and seen. But also if they don't see you and they're not even considering you, you're like, why should I even bother trying to go in there? And I think that's huge too, is if you aren't represented as an identity or an ethnicity or anything, it's really hard to like put yourself in there it's because there's a distrust within the system as well and to me it's just amazing like going through even I took like a biomedical engineering principles class or whatever when I was an undergrad and all of like the human body like oh you know the standard like human body um variables that you dealt with like weight height whatever it was all based off of men and I was like this is so much bigger than my my body and her body and their body. I'm just like, what are we doing? And even just like seeing that in a textbook and solving these problems, I'm like, this is not realistic at all. And so it's just like, I could see how that plays into it too. And that I think 
is another step towards improving that representation is we need to include everybody <laughs> and because it's all different and like medicines have different side effects on uh, different types of people and just different machines work differently at different sizes of bodies and things like that I mean I could go on and on about it but I think that that's another huge component as well I think in the medical um, trial disparity it's also based on cultural differences or ethnic differences Um, so you're basically taught not to trust these people because you have no idea what they're putting in your body or why they're doing those things and especially if you don't speak the language and you go like they could explain it 50 different ways and you're just like nodding your head Mm -hmm. because you don't understand you know again that also like has to do with a whole a whole history of like the medical field just abusing like black and brown people and people of color um as like test subjects mm-hmm. um Henrietta Lacks which that book like that story about her if you guys haven't read that I highly encourage you to read like it's I don't I it's just, it's just an amazing story and I think it's a great example of that I mean I know there are so many examples like there are countless examples but that's I think one of my favorite ones I've at least read the book about yeah for our listeners it's called The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks by Rebecca Skloop um recommended to me by my high school biology teacher um (laughs) we love women in stem um but but like you know I think the book does a really good job of like detailing Mm -hmm. not just like the institutional harms but also like on a personal level like what um that exploitation did to the family of just one person Mm -hmm. um that that had been you know exploited by an institution yeah, so I think, okay, so, like, <laughs> let's let's talk a little bit about retention, shall we? Just because, like, I think, first of all, I'm pretty, I'm fairly certain that's in Wiz's, like, mission statement. Um, <laughs> um, and I think it's, it may be even, like, education is, and retention may be two sides of the same mm. coin. Um, because, like, once, okay, so you're, you've made it through the gauntlet of K-12, you made it through the gauntlet of undergrad and I mean like already by then it's like you know salmon's on the salmon ladder like you know by then like the population has been culled how do you how do you um like stay because I think like one thing is like one thing that I hear a lot and I don't know if this is true um but like you know as someone who's like you know younger it's like you know oh like your biological clock is ticking like when are you gonna get married like when are the babies happening I literally had someone from my work say that to me one time like they were talking about you know planning to have children and then they were just kind of like oh you know what about you like you're not getting any younger and I was just like excuse me like first of all none of your business so I'm like second of all I'm just like seriously I'm like feel like that I'm like just the level of comfortableness of someone to say that like it's just like casual conversation like oh how was your weekend oh yeah you know aren't you concerned about your ovaries like I don't know to me I'm just like give me a break well well, the biological clock thing is pretty much a myth though like you can still have children after 35 it's just your your chances of getting pregnant decrease so like I don't see why it has to be before 35 or nothing. My mom had me when she was 38. So. Yeah, I think like, you know, the, it, the older you are, it does increase the chances of um, 
of like some genetic things going wrong and so like I think at 35 yeah 35 they start checking for like down syndrome and they call it a geriatric pregnancy which which 35 (laughs) you don't like absolutely not no 30 flirty and thriving damn it (laughs) yeah um but then so then it's like you know like um it's it's I think especially in arenas like research which either you know academic or corporate like there's so much just like socialization that's involved in like before I like was actively involved with research I did not understand how deeply like boys club research can be and it's like you know like who do you go out to get a beer with like I'm sorry I don't know what guys say that was my It's accurate. I'm sure it's accurate for some of them. Like, very preppy guys, maybe. Yeah, and I I think, like, you know, um, like, one thing is, like, having, like, places to breastfeed your kid when you're at a conference. And that's only something that will come into the minds of people who are planning it or whatever if they've been in that same position. You know, so, like, I think that's where representation really does come into play. It's, like, if if you are, you... You've had children, and I mean, obviously not that, like, all women need to procreate, (laughs) Um, but, like, if that is your choice, that, like, that shouldn't be a problem for your job. It shouldn't, yeah, be a negative or seen as a negative. Anyone who, like, wants to have a family, it's like, oh, well, you're gonna have to take time off. Like, oh, are you gonna be able to pay attention to your job, you know? And I think your point of, like, yeah having places to breastfeed or pump it's like having you just had a baby or you adopted or whatnot you've been spending this time with them and you kind of have that disconnect from your job you have to go back and like if you just had a child and you're like you got a pump or you have to go home and breastfeed them like that's time out of your day and it's like you don't want to feel that pressure from your work like oh are they gonna get mad at me it's like those are things that they're natural <laughs> they're part of life like I don't understand it's very like you get so much increased pressure in those times and I remember having a conversation um like I do want to have kids someday when that is I don't know it's not anytime soon but I do and I was thinking about that I'm like well do I want to see be at my current job like would I want to go somewhere else like maybe change jobs before I have kids or would I want to do it afterwards I'm like would I be seen weird as like a new pregnant lady coming into work at a new office like it's like all these just random things and it's like having to think about those is unfortunate and a hindrance I mean it just can make you feel like is this really like worth it to have to consider all of these things it'd be so much nicer if it just was a burden that was taken off of people's shoulders. We need more stay-at-home dads so they know, like, the pressure and all that stuff, and maybe they'll take it easy. Like, most of the families that I know, um, like, you know, either my, like, friends' families or, like, whatever, like, you know, regardless of how absolutely brilliant the mother was, like, she, when it came time to, like, start raising a family, like, quit her job. And I don't, I don't, like, do we chalk that up to, like, gendered expectations? Gender expectations are a part of it. And also, like, even expand upon that even further. It's, like, you go into um, 
gender and pay gaps and things like that and logically you're like who should quit their job probably the person who makes less money and guess who always usually makes less money surprise it's the mom the woman (laughs) um the person in the minority situation they're the one who typically makes the least amount of money and I think that plays in it too it too is because logically I feel like people in STEM too they want to be reasonable and quantitative and say hey okay we're having a kid we should probably you know have a decent amount of money to help with that because kids are expensive plus tuition don't forget that once they turn 18 it's yep. still our problem <laughs> it's <Like>. true <laughs> um I, I think the, our dwelling on um education was like like really like revealed where a lot of the representation problem is and the heart of it is really in education we talk about this a lot yeah because it's the pipeline (laughs) to careers and where you're going and it impacts you so so greatly whether it's negative positive or both yeah and it's like if you have a firm conviction that you want to be a science person very early on like that's much harder to shake Mm -hmm. than the later it comes um, well, when I think of like celebrities in STEM or actors, I always think of Mayim Bialik. I don't know how to pronounce her name, so I'm so sorry. Wherever you are, I mispronounced your name. Uh, she was on mm-hmm. The Big Bang Theory as Amy. She's yeah. a neuroscientist. So I always think of her when I think of like mm-hmm. someone really famous that does STEM. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, talking about like media and movies and things, I think we've seen as of recent which I mean it's unfortunate it's taken this long that representation in those areas really does matter um whether that's you know Black Panther in the Marvel universe um or Captain Marvel or hidden figures as a you know uh, representation for women and Black women in STEM and just all of these and even, like, figures like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, like, she's not in STEM, but she's a powerful woman in media. I mean, God rest her soul. <laughs> but it's just, like, having those figures that you can see that they're making a difference or that they're doing things that you may have an inkling to do, I think it is so important. And just, like, seeing, again, like, little kids, they watch these movies and then they feel so inspired, like... I remember just reading like a bunch of stuff like after Hidden Figures came out they're like after that my daughters they played scientists like for the rest of the night and pretending to code and like do math and things and like I just think that's adorable and it's like it's so wholesome and innocent but it's like those moments really do can matter and make a difference um I think that those things yeah are definitely important it's just another avenue to see people like yourself doing things that you may want to do and that's never harmful I think yeah no I agree and like talking about like Black Panther and stuff like we need more like hopeful Mm -hmm. um like movies and tv about like people of color in the future Mm -hmm. in technology but I think like you know we like need to be able to like envision like futures where like things are good for women and people of color Mm -hmm. um and like I think right now maybe we don't have enough of that we talked about representation in Mm -hmm. terms of education but we didn't talk about representation in going into college Mm -hmm. when you don't have money when loans are so crazy so maybe 
next time or maybe somebody can email us and tell us their stories because I think that's a topic yeah, definitely. maybe we'll like have a pod about like college <laughs> a whole and, like, like ho- audiobook about that sucker <laughs> I agree I think like there's it, it's such there's no right answer you're just gonna get hurt okay I, I can't get started I'm on this <laughs> Guys, like, like choo-choo train of knowledge and I'm gonna start talking hours. about like how tuition's rising by 7% every year, and I won't be able to stop. It's um, <laughs> a great idea. We you do, like, a yeah. preview. Well, tidbit, leave you wanting time. more, everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want more. I'm going to talk about it now. <laughs> so if you, too, have student loans and want to gripe about it, email us. Oh, yes, me. Um, but for now, I think... That's it for today's podcast. Yeah, um, make sure you tune in to our next episode, dropping next Friday, where we interview Dana Schott from Tualatin Riverkeepers about her career in environmental science. Thank you so much for listening to Wisterhood, and make sure to subscribe so you'll know when we drop more episodes and comment so more folks can find us, or just tell people about us. That's the best way to spread the word, and tell us your stories or ask questions you'd like answered on the pod. You can email us at podcast at womeninsciencepdx.org. We'd love to hear from you. And special thanks to Homa Kosariani, who designed our awesome cover art. Bye, everyone. See ya.